Wow, I don't think I need to preach now. Um, well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jason Zastro. I serve here on staff as our growing is when it comes to discipleship, leadership development, and training, uh, me and my team, we're your people. Uh, we've got a great team of people, both staff, non-staff, paid, unpaid, who help lead that, and we're so grateful for them. And if I've never said thank you to your face, this is me saying thank you for what you guys do for our team. Um, a couple things, another thing that our team does is we do Apex Delivers, and more specifically during this season, the Friends Boxes. We're very excited about these. These are $20. There's more information out in the lobby area, or you can always check these out online. If you go to apex.church, scroll down. $20, you get the package, and you can deliver it yourself. For an additional $10, we're more than happy to ship that for you. It's going to come in a nice little white mailer, kind of like what you get when you have a subscription service. And this year, what we have in it, if you can see this, is we've got a lovely box of wine and chocolates. We've got two mugs uh, with hot chocolate stirring sticks. And the idea here is that you send this to your friend and then say, hey, let's have a cup of hot coffee, a hot chocolate. Uh, there's also a lovely wooden snowflake ornament and a soy candle. Um, and so for $20, this can be your friends uh, if you're so willing to give them a gift this year. Uh, and most importantly, as part of the gift, we'll have just a reminder about what the gospel is and, and an invitation to this uh, Christmas Eve service. Uh, so check it out in the lobby, and we'd, be, we'd love it if you guys would be willing to uh, buy one of these for your friends. Um, well, we are going to continue in the book of Acts this morning. Uh, we're actually going to do a little bit of backtracking, uh, so if you wouldn't mind with me, open up to Acts chapter 16. It may not be on the screen behind you, but I am going to begin reading in verses uh, 13 all the way through the end of, of, of Acts uh, chapter 16. The Word of God reads this way. On the Sabbath, we went outside, this is... Paul, Luke, Silas. We went outside the city gate to the river where we were expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you considered me to be a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, begin to use your mind's eye here. Imagine this. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she was able to predict the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command that you come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar. 
They're advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer had commanded the guard, had commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison's doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison's doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now go, leave in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get us rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them, and they escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they were met with the brothers and the sisters, and they encouraged them. Then they left. Let's pray. Father, first and foremost, we praise you in the name of Jesus by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Lord, your name is more powerful than any of us could ever imagine. It is by the power of your name that you save. It is the power, by the power of your name that you defeat the powers of darkness. It's by the power of your name that you bring reconciliation between all of humanity and yourself. And so, Jesus, may the power of your name be afreshed and with new power in our lives today. May you form new people through, through, the, through the gift of salvation. May you form new communities because we love each other and we love your fame and your name and your glory. And more than anything, God, we ask for the renewal of this broken world with all of its divisions and with its malice and with its wars and with its ways about going against you and your perfect peace. May it begin with us here today. 
It's in your son's name we pray, amen. So one of my favorite things about Apex is that it is a body full of broken people. Um, many of us in this space uh, are, have, have gone through the whole church thing and, and we've been tired by it. We've been broken by it. Um, there's been spiritual abuse that people have experienced uh, in the past. Uh, and, and they come to a place like this and they're seeking healing. I know for me, that was me for years. I used to sit up right up in that corner uh, for about two years. My brother brought me here. I had wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I had wanted nothing to do with the church. But through the regular preaching of the name of Jesus over and over again, I experienced a newness. Now, it wasn't actually in this space that I ended up coming to truly know Jesus as Lord, but it was through the body here. It was through the house churches here. It was through the shared love that I experienced here that gave me a glimpse into the character of our God who is love. Jesus himself says in his final command to the disciples in John 13, love one another the way I have loved you, and by this the world will know that you are my disciples, that the Father has sent me, and so now I also send you, as he says later on in John chapter 20. And so it is this shared love in the name of Jesus that brings us together here today. It is the shared love that we have for one another by the power of the Spirit that binds us together that brings us here today. It is the shared love that despite the pain, despite the, 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 the trials that we go through, that we're able to sing in the loudest of praises as we just experienced. It's because of God's love for us through the life, death, and resurrection that any of us have hope for life. And Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they're taking this love and they are bringing it to a broken city full of broken people, full of all sorts of oppression, and they're doing the only thing that they know how to do best, and that's declaring Jesus' name. We have three different vignettes here, and what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at these very briefly vignettes of Lydia, of the slave girl, and of the soldier. I really like the way that Mike said it this week. We first meet a woman, and then a wretch, and finally the wounded. So let's look at this woman first very briefly, just to remind ourselves of this. We have Lydia, as Mike told us about last week, she was a dealer of purple. Uh, this most likely meant that she uh, was of, of, of wealth. She was a very smart businesswoman. She came to this town of Philippi, this, this retirement community, if you will, for uh, Roman soldiers and citizens, uh, and she established shop. But she was also a God-fearer, and so daily she would go down, regularly would go down to this river to pray. And it's really cool. I would encourage you, to, if you ever want to check out Philippi, Google Maps has a very great satellite imagery of this whole stuff. Just type in Philippi, Greece, and, and zoom in, and you can actually see they have a marker there for you where you can see the, 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 uh, the kind of little dedicated spot to Lydia right next to this little river stream where she and others prayed, and you can check out the various ruins there. So be sure to do that. 
But here's this woman, and she comes in, uh, and she probably has all sorts of reasons to have pride in herself, all sorts of reasons to, to look upon herself with high regard. But then she hears about the name of Jesus, and she experiences salvation. The same level of confidence that she always had is now transformed, not for a confidence for herself or for her business alone or supremely, but for the confidence of the king in his kingdom. The next person that we meet is this slave girl. The way that she is described is that she has this spirit. Now, it's not necessarily helpful the way that the NIV or others translate this. Uh, in the Greek, it's a, it's a pneumata pathon, a pneumata pathon, uh, a spirit of the python. Now, the reason I bring up Google Maps is if you look on where Philippi is, right down the road from it, by about a week or two's journey, is a little, not a little town, a rather large town called Delphi. Delphi, in the centuries past, uh, the way that it goes according to Greek mythology and legend is that there was a python that was there and that Apollo, the great god, came and he defeated the python there and he established his presence in that place. And from there on, from that day on, there was a Pythia priestess, a priestess of the python that uh, was established in that place. And people would come from all over. And I mean all over, accounts of people coming from Egypt uh, as, far as, uh, as far as the east goes to come and they would stand in the temple of Apollo and in the temple of Athena and they, they would go beforehand and, and, and on the kind of banner at the top was uh, written in stone would be this phrase of, of know thyself. Probably a phrase that you've heard before. And they would go in and they would receive some sort of oracle uh, about what it is that they were supposed to do. And this is what the same spirit that is influencing the oracle at Delphi is also most likely influencing this spirit here. It wasn't uncommon for the spirits, for the gods, to have reign over much larger lands of area than, than what we're probably familiar with today. We sometimes think of, of demonic activity happening just on a one-on-one space, but also the idea within the ancient times, and especially within, within, within the Old Testament, is that these spirits, these demonic activities, would take place over the course of, of an entire landscape of area. And here's Delphi, and, and Delphi is creeping out into the far stretches and has reached, has reached Paul and this wretched woman, this slave girl. Now, as we see in this text, this woman is also one who uh, is enslaved. She's just not in her spiritual sense enslaved. She is in her physical sense enslaved as well. And she's going around, and she is, 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 is annoying Paul and his people with uh, the fact that they are here to proclaim that the, the good news of the God Most High. The spirit knows the truth. And Paul just lets it go on until it finally annoys him enough to where he gets up and he says to it, be quiet, and in the name of Jesus, I command you that you come out of her. And she does. 
this Pythian spirit just flees in the name of Jesus. I think that's something that we fail to recognize, that, that just as Paul has the Spirit of God dwelling in him, is able to combat the powers of darkness with the name of Jesus, so are we. Just shoo. Just go away. When I was in college, there was this organization that I was a part of uh, called Jeremiah Project, uh, that I actually ended up serving later on uh, in life. And it was more at the beginning, just checking it out, but then uh, really took it on. And in Jeremiah Project, we would go out on Friday nights and we would minister specifically to people who were caught up in extremely oppressive situations. People who were being trafficked, uh, people who were caught up in drugs, uh, specifically those who uh, were dealing, um, and they were caught up in that way, and people who were caught up in the oppression of homelessness and poverty. And we would spend hours and hours and hours praying. And I felt like I needed hours and hours and hours of prayer before we would go out on the streets for just a night. And it was funny because the more that I did it, the more that I just, I grew in this confidence in myself and the power of the Spirit in me to the point where I didn't need the hours of the prayer. After a while, it was just like, Yep, I got this. I got Jesus. And I think that's one of the things that we have to take on as we begin to address, uh, and we're becoming more aware of these things uh, within our congregation here. It may feel like it's going to take hours and hours and hours of our preparation, uh, but one of the things I've absolutely loved about Mike and the way that he's taught us here is that, no, it's, it's nothing to be afraid of. The enemy's already been defeated. He's already been slain. And all it takes is the name of Jesus. Do you realize that you have the spirit of the living God dwelling in you? And that he's already going out before you and slaying things and defeating things that you've never imagined needed defeating? And then in his love and kindness, he invites us into that fight with him. And when we're scared or we're afraid or we don't know what to do, all it requires is to say, Jesus is Lord, be gone. In your own life, what are the things that are causing oppression, that are causing doubt, that are causing you to question the goodness of God? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, be gone. So we meet this woman who's given great status. We meet this wretch who's delivered in the name of Jesus. And then finally, we meet this wounded soldier. Now, as, as Paul's story goes on, he uh, is not very well received because he just took this complete means of, of economic success from this couple who had uh, oppressed and enslaved this girl. And, and they didn't like that. And, and, and they come back and they even say something even more powerful, even very, at the time, anti-Semitic, and saying, these are Jews coming about and preaching their God that have nothing to do with our God. Get rid of them. 
And so the magistrates, they take Paul and Silas and they throw them in jail. And they don't just throw them in jail. They, they, I mean, they flog them. They beat them. Uh, they, they throw them in jail. They throw them in the most rear of jails and the most back of rooms where all the crap and, and fodder and dung was thrown. This was reserved for the worst of the worst. And they're flogged. They have, uh, they have stocks that are put upon them. They, they, they're unable to move. And what do they do? What would you do in that situation? Imagine yourself covered in human filth, naked or half-naked, fresh wounds on your back. What would you do? Here's what they do. They worship. There is something that is so powerful about the way that our bodies are made and the the union of of flesh and spirit and the union of our bodies and our souls that when we as God's people are brought down to our lowest of lows, we can do nothing but sing our highest of praise. That in our brokenness, in our own experiences of, of, of pain and suffering, Um, that we just shout out the name of Jesus. How many of you all earlier as you were singing and you were being reminded of his power over the death through his resurrection, did you have your own pains that you were just releasing? That's what we do. That's what they did. That out of our greatest suffering comes our greatest praise. It's not wasted. It's not left for want. Jesus himself said, it's greater that I go to the cross. It's it's for your purposes and it's for your glory. Paul, the way that he says this in his letters to the Colossians, he says, I'm filling up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. I'm taking on his own mortal wounds into my own body that I too may share in his glory. And as he is there, and they are singing, and they are praising, there is this really funny earthquake that happens. It's an earthquake that shakes the foundations, that loosens all of the chains, that breaks open the doors, but not necessarily tears down the buildings. So it's this very intended earthquake. It's, it's a divine earthquake. It is God saying, because you have sung out to me, I have heard you and I am here to release you of your oppression. Because you have declared the glories of my name, I am going to sing my glories over you now. And so they're freed like that. Seeing this, the jailer freaks out. So much so that he draws his sword out as to fall on it, killing himself. Paul, just as merciful as he's experienced in the face of the, of the power of God, he says, stop it. Don't do it. We're here. We're not going anywhere. And so this wounded man stands before them and it says, what must I do to be saved? Saved 
both in this sense of the situation that he is in, and he knows that he could face the worst kind of repercussions from those who oversee him, to the saved in the sense of the power of God that he just experienced that's greater than any of the gods he's ever known. What must I do to be saved? And on that day, Paul said to him, just believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For the second time, we see the power of the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus that is able to scatter the darkness and the name of Jesus that's able to bring light into lonely and dark places. What must I do to be saved? Perhaps you're like me, and maybe you're not sitting up in the balcony top, but online or down here on the floor, and you're asking that question yourself. What must I do to be saved? Again, what Paul says here, just call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you too, and your whole household shall be saved. Experiencing that, that joy, that exhilaration, the jailer invited Paul and Silas to his home, and they celebrated. They threw a party, because that's what you do when the lost are found. Because that's what you do when you come to know the life of God. It's a huge celebration. There's no doubt in my mind that the very first miracle that Jesus performed was the turning of water into wine at a marriage feast. Because to be in the presence of God is to party. It's to be in continual celebration. And so it is in that spirit of generosity that we take celebration with us wherever we go. Some of you will all be going out to lunch after this. Tip well. Some of you will be having people into your home for Thanksgiving. Keep the things that are divisive at bay and celebrate that which is positive. I got a clap. <laughs> some of you, some of you go out to 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 to. to to, uh, um, to restaurants and, and to baseball games, well, maybe not right now, but wherever you go, go with the attitude of celebration because the, the God who has a thousand cattle on his hills is the one who dwells in you. Live with generosity. Here is Paul with this jailer who he could have easily just said, yeah, fall on that sword. You did this wrong to me. That's not his attitude. You got life. Let's go live it. And so this woman, this wretch, and this wounded man end up making the very first church in Europe. 
Now remember, Paul in his Macedonian call, he got this picture and this vision of a man uh, who's kind of like, you know, you, you just imagine this man who's like all built and decked out and ready to go. And, and Paul has that in mind as far as who this first church is going to be. Who does he get? A woman. No offense. <laughs> Saying in that time. <laughs> a demon-possessed girl. And a half-rated Philippian jailer who's not even good enough to be a general. Like everyone else. When we go about seeking Christian community, I think often what we do is we're always looking for perfection. Take a look around you in this space. We're full of women, praise the Lord. (laughs) Save myself there. So many of us have been wretched in our lives and have been broken by the sins of ourselves and by others. And many of us are wounded. But you know what we all have in common? Jesus. That's what God uses to build his church is the love of his son. Jesus to his disciples and his closing prayer before he faces the cross. He's like, Lord, let them, let them experience my love the way that you have loved me. May they love one another. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them so they may be brought into complete unity. It is the name of Jesus, it is the love of Jesus that takes a woman, a wretch, and a wounded, and brings them in to be part of the family of God, to be the family of God. What's interesting about this is, if you're familiar with Paul's famous passage in Galatians 3.28, he says that at the foot of the cross and in Jesus that there is neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, neither Greek nor Jew. For all are one in Christ. And that, that radical equality is the very foundation and the basis for the community that God is building. A community of one another's. So evaluate house church leaders How are you doing at living out this way of radical equality? Are you doing everything yourself all the time? Or are you giving away power and letting others bear the burden and do the work of the gospel? Within your families, is there this sense of equal love around the dinner table where everyone is cherished and everyone is cared for where everyone is promoted, where everyone has a voice. In our workplaces, for those of us who are business owners, yes, there's obviously various roles and responsibilities within our community, but 
our labor practices one that lift people up or tear people down? Because for Paul and for Silas, here they are sitting in jail and experiencing freedom. And they come out and they remind them of who they are. They are Roman citizens. And they have equality with the other Roman citizens there. And if Paul's able to claim that just by being a Roman citizen and giving that equality to those who are a woman, a wretch, and a wounded, how much greater equality do we have because we are together and one with Christ? As a, as a quick point of closing, one of the things that I'd like us to reflect upon is the types of community that we're creating. Are the types of community that we're creating open to the low-hanging fruit of those who are broken around us or are we just looking to create community with people that look and act and sound just like us? Because Paul went in with a picture and a vision, but the reality he got was so much better. Because it was everyone, not just this Macedonian man. So as you are looking out into creating community where community doesn't exist, do you have the same vision that God has of bringing everyone in to sit at his table? Or do you have your own stuff that you've got to work through that prevents you from seeing everyone equally capable in need of the love of God in their lives? But in final closing, um, it's only because it's here and in this passage it would be amiss of me if I didn't ask this simple question. And this is probably as Baptist as you're ever going to hear me sound. I didn't even grow up Baptist. But do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, he's calling you home. And he's got a table he wants to sit, at, sit you at so you can experience his love, his life, and his light forever. Let's pray. Let's pray.